0: Hello and welcome to In Tune, the Scottish Music Centre's podcast. My name is Keith Petey and today I'm joined with Jill Roger, the Festival Director of the Glasgow International Jazz Festival. How's it going, Jill?
1: Yeah, not bad, thanks. All good.
0: Great. So tell us a story. How did you, first of all, get involved in music from a very early age?
1: Well... I mean, I was always a huge music fan and going to gigs and things like that. I sort of thought everybody did it, but now when I look back, I realise that I probably was a bit different, even from my sister and, you know, a lot of my pals. But the pals I hung about with, we all, you know, came into town to go to gigs from quite an early age. Um, The Apollo, back in the day, back in the late 70s. uh, First gig was Elton John, like the Apollo. Wow, really? In nineteen seventy. Nine, I think. That was your first gig. It was the first gig. Uh, I know. Well, actually, I'm, I'm telling a bit. My first gig at the Apollo was actually the Wombles. <laughs> but <laughs> no, we'll, let, we'll let that one go. <laughs> oh, wow. My first real gig, you know, was Elton John. <laughs> That's
0: incredible.
1: And then from then on in, just going up to town to the Apollo to as many gigs as we could afford, really, and. And then I went and did a business studies degree at Glasgow Tech and went into working in the whisky trade for five years. Um, so I worked in export admin in a whisky firm. All oh, right. But I was always a bit of an organiser. I was the one that organised like the Christmas parties and the right. events and things within the firm, so always, even through school and things like that, I always like that and I still went to loads and loads of gigs mm-hmm. um, and then a job, I was getting a bit fed up in the whiskey firm and a job came up at the Jazz Festival, an admin job right. and I uh, applied for it and got down to the final two and they couldn't decide who to give it to so they gave us a typing test on the old typewriting. Aye. For a typing speeds. So I got the job and the strength of my typing speeds and I'm still there 30 oh, years later. <laughs>
0: Incredible. I know. What made a jump from,
1: from whiskey? Like
0: that's my, <laughs> other, my other love into music, but what made <laughs> that jump from, from whiskey and music?
1: Um, I just I don't know. I just think like working 9 to 5 in an office wasn't for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: so um, whiskey change is quite maybe quite an old-fashioned. Trade in those days, mm-hmm. and if you were female, you didn't really get a chance wow. to progress very far. So I sort of could see it being the same forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I saw that job, I thought, "Well, that sounds quite interesting." And then went for it. And all well, my typing speeds later got wow. it, and that was that was in 1989, and I started in January 1990, which was the Glasgow City of Culture. So it was an amazing year to. Definitely. Start in a uh, work in, in a, a year where events the whole year were like it was crazy. There was sponsorship money everywhere. There was just all this, this amazing stuff going on. So when I look so, back, it was a huge festival and yeah. you know, we didn't have a computer. Well, I think we'd one computer for the whole office that we shared, but it didn't I don't even think we had a printer. Or a, I remember the day we got a fax machine and that was all very exciting. Right. And you phone people afterwards and say, Did you get that fax? Okay, right, thank you, yes. Uh,
0: Probably a bit like the 2014, like the Commonwealth, and the same thing it was was about the city. It was
1: huge. I mean, it was absolutely massive the whole year. Um, And I'm I'm delighted that I got the chance, you know, to work on an event during that year, really. Even if it was my first one, it was a bit of a baptism of fire.
0: For sure. And how did you book how did you book bands without, without it sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but how did you book bands without email and without computers? Was it all phone calls?
1: Phone, all phone calls. I mean, I wasn't booking the bands back in those days. I was I was on I was on the type the, the typewriter. <laughs> I, I typed up every single person that year had a name badge that I typed up on cardboard in a typewriter with tippix if I made a mistake. Laminate. I don't even know if we had a laminator, I think it was like a, a safety pin to put oh everybody man. on. But there were, you know, it was a huge festival. It was like fourteen days long. We had, with Miles Davis, Dizzy Gillespie, BB King. <laughs> I mean, when I look back to those days, it just My seems crazy goodness. that My. that was the first music event that I'd worked on that with all these huge stars.
0: Oh man, <laughs> so you've got to work with Miles. My goodness.
1: Yeah, that was quite scary.
0: <laughs> I bet. I <I'll> bet. <laughs> so, so from that, then, when did you become uh, booking and start booking and organizing more? What how did that? Well, happen?
1: Um, I mean, over the the sort of first ten years, I was the administrator, then a so general manager, uh, and then myself and Olive Millen worked together. She was a, the artistic director, and I was the general manager. So I was very much from the business side of things, mm-hmm. and then in two thousand Four, I think it was Olive decided that you know she wanted to move on had she'd had enough and uh, the board asked me if I could program it and I said well it's really not it's not my area of expertise I'm more about you know the numbers and the book and the venues and everything like that but I said I'd try it because I knew you know I knew a lot of the personalities involved so mm-hmm. uh, they said it'd just be one year and I've ended up now just counted up, I've now programmed 16 of them out of the 33 or stuff. Um, so yeah, amazing. from so very much from a a, a business side of things. Yeah. Uh, I've sort of fallen into the creative side, mm-hmm. I suppose you would say. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still probably much more come at it from a bus- with a business head on rather than a you know flight of fancy type. Yeah. Sure.
0: <laughs> And the challenges, what are the I main, apart from these empty venues when you turn up to the show, like, what are the, the big challenges of programming a festival? like
1: I suppose balance, really. It's hard to keep, you know, you're never going to keep everyone happy. And uh-huh. sometimes it's like, it can be really hard, the programming part of it, when you know you're going to have to disappoint people as well. You can't give everybody a gig. And then you know, the sheer number of submissions that you get, can be really overwhelming, but you sort of learn to grow a bit of a thick skin and you just have to keep a balance for the whole programme, really. I mean, in all sorts of ways, you know, even like a a guitar led band, a singer, you know, and have, I think, I mean, I programme very much, I have a jazz wall in front of my desk, which I print out a picture of the band and I post the programme up on the wall and I see visually how the programme looks. So it's always a bit, yeah. I know it's, it's a strange one. I don't know who it deals. It's a very blue Peter cut cut and paste, a bit of blue tack.
0: I think more <laughs> of a detective. It's more like a detective.
1: It's a wee bit like that. It's a like one of those cop shows where you see the wall. Well, I've got a jazz wall like that every year. It's always quite sad when after the festival when I have to take the jazz wall down, but I've got all the photos of them over the years. <laughs> but it does it definitely, when I sit every day, well, when we did have the office, when I sat every day looking at the wall, it was a good way of seeing. You know, suddenly you think, well, I've got all sax players on that day or sax led bands, or Trump, you know, Aye. and it's definitely the best. Well, for me, it was the easiest way of working out a, a sort of good balance, gender balance, everything else.
0: I think better than looking at a spreadsheet. Aye, totally. Yeah,
1: definitely. I do have my spreadsheets as well, my colour coded <laughs> things. I love a spreadsheet.
0: For sure. <laughs> on the, the gender, I was going to ask that about gender balance. Is that that's obviously something that you are, you know, Right on top of, and trying to do mm. that, trying to get that split right. And is that something, if even for the last six, sixteen years, you are often trying to do it? Is it quite difficult in jazz? Would you say it's more difficult in jazz than any other genre?
1: It's it's getting easier, I would say. I mean, when um, obviously we've had time in my hands recently, I've been looking back at the the old the programs from the early days of the festival, and the gender balance then was was pretty awful, really. You know. Um, I think in the last maybe five years it's definitely getting easier mm-hmm. to program a good gender balance program it's not it's not perfect mm-hmm. I mean we finally almost got a gender balance board for the first time just last year the first time in 33 years That's excellent, though. Um, which is is, is brilliant and it's, it's made a huge difference I would say
0: mm-hmm.
1: for the way we work and everything but um yeah it's I mean, it's hard in jazz as well. Like, you know, a, lot, like, a lot of the times it's like, well, the female singer
0: mm-hmm.
1: is, you yeah. know, how it's seen. But, you know, there are definitely more and more amazing female instrumentalists coming through.
0: For sure. I think as well, you would mentioned there, like, the, the visual aspect allows you to see yeah. when you're looking at it. It's, it's definitely yeah. sensible. It's cool. Um, and since the lockdown, I know you ran the virtual festival this year. Was, how did that work and did it work and what was the challenges for you there with that?
1: It did, It was a bit it was a learning, steep learning curve I would say. I mean obviously started thinking about it in April where we're we going to be able to do anything. At that point you know lockdown we didn't know when lockdown was going to end and then it soon became clear that we weren't going to be able to do a, a standard festival with venues and audiences and everything. So... But we didn't know what we were allowed to do uh, but luckily i I had got use of the blue Arrow venue for one day and did a very strange like event with no audience and timed like every you know solo performers had to arrive at a certain time and then I got all the disinfect and wiped down all the piano keys and everything in between everybody coming in. they would to phone me when they were outside, so I would make sure that the, everybody was socially distant. <laughs> so, I mean, even look at that. That was that was sort of the middle of June, and even looking back, that's mm-hmm. it seems like so long ago now. And things have changed so much since then as well. Totally. But we we got the chance to use a new platform called MyPlayer, right. and we hosted all the gigs on that. Um, we did four solo sessions, and then we had other documentaries that I managed to get the rights for to show for one evening only. Um, and then Radio Scotland did a, a good retrospective programme on the Sunday nights. So over the five days that would have been the festival, we did have a couple of events every day. I mean, we got really good good uh, figures, you know, uh, all over the world, really. We've got some quite good chats from it. Um, it wasn't the same. It was weird watching or being sitting on my sofa <laughs> where I would normally have been running around, running around crazy backstage. But... Uh, Yes. Yeah that 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 was that was strange getting getting used to we also got hit on the first night with a lot of like spam bots mm-hmm. I mean I'm not the most technical of people um some I think they were bots they were starting to sell mm-hmm. tickets for the event or right. putting up fake links to if you want to watch the online virtual Glasgow Jazz Festival follow this link and it had a paywall so they kept popping up everywhere on the front like ten minutes before we went live so that was that we hadn't expected
0: that. A challenge, you know? Yeah,
1: that was a challenge. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lynn Johnson and myself had to just constantly watch social media and delete anything we saw as soon as it appeared. Mm-hmm. We'd have stopped any comments and anything because they were coming up in the comments. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't expected that. That was definitely a, that was definitely a newer on me.
0: I think I think when you'd said when I noticed you were doing the virtual festival, I had thought it was more people would be in in their own situation so they weren't coming to the venue. And it sort of that's that's made me think about this sort of blended festival where you'd have like artists like, you know, previously, like people like Ruben Gonzalez or Ibrahim Ferrer who would have played previously. I know they've mm-hmm. passed away now, sadly, but if they wouldn't be able to travel, like you could just send somebody there. You could, to, you could to do that.
1: Yeah, and film it. And
0: bringing a whole band over cheaper than bringing whenever of so social club. You just send one guy. it's yeah. not a, the
1: same. Not the same, though. Yeah. Definitely not. I mean, I think originally when we looked at doing the online, or the virtual festival, I did think we would ask people to do it from their their homes. But at that point, I felt that everything was almost everyone was doing that, and we got the chance to go in for the day. And you know the setup with two decent cameras and someone to film it, proper proper sound desk and everything. I think and I think that you know it worked. yeah um, And I think we were probably one of the first at that time to have done that. Yep. We had checked that we were allowed to do it and everything, so it all seemed to be okay. And it had to be solo performers or a uh, one household. So we yep. had a, a a duo that were. Locked out together. So.
0: Wow! Wow! Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. certainly
1: a different year. Certainly won't forget it. <laughs> I
0: know. No, I wish I'd. I never I missed all of that. I never managed to see any of that.
1: What well, still there, my player. All oh, right. My player, uh, I think it is jazz. Right. So all the 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 live performances that we that we recorded, or the ones we recorded, are still there. Right. So, and those are some very good ones. Yes.
0: Um, I think as well, like the last I'll say four or five years, like I've been going down to Brighton for the Great Escape and obviously being a massive fan of Giles' stuff on six music mm-hmm. and noticing the, the huge array of um, especially sort of female um, UK jazz artists that's coming through. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a massive plethora of them all. Um, is that something I mean, is that do you stay on top of that? Is that something you're always watching to see What's new to book or program
1: from a distance? Suppose I mean it's hard to keep. an I mean, obviously, seeing it live is, is more difficult. Um, I sort of heavily rely on the lovely Louise Murphy to help me on that side <laughs> of the programming. So she's great. I think uh, she has youth on her side, <laughs> yeah. and uh, she definitely she helps me out with the programming and brings a lot of that that
0: to it. -hmm. I've spent many hours talking about (laughs) (laughs) jazz with Louise Um, and in terms of some of the Scottish stuff there's there's quite Mm -hmm. a lot of young Scottish artists as well coming through and I don't think I realised it was mostly on submissions to jazz Festival, is it mostly people submit to play it?
1: Well people submit but then probably probably in terms of what we would book from the submissions is probably not Mm-hmm. Not that high. I mean, it does tend. To, it does tend to be a mixture, but I would say the majority of what we book um, is things that we've actively gone out and and found. We were part of the European Jazz Network as well, and that's quite a good network of festivals and clubs and things all over Europe and the world now. It's, it's extended a bit, mm-hmm. so you know other festival directors will send me things and say oh, you need to listen to this, this is really good, it might work for you and vice versa, you know I'll send them our Scottish stuff as well. And you get um,
0: things like Jazz Ahead and things and all these other
1: things? Yeah, and sadly Jazz Ahead um, didn't happen this year and the European Jazz Network um, meetings always, the annual meetings usually in September but yeah. And that was supposed to be in Bulgaria, but that's not happening this year either. So, you definitely, you know, you definitely miss out from seeing the showcases at these events as well. Mm, definitely, you, you you know, you definitely do. Mm-hmm. I've programmed quite a lot of things from you know who I've seen at mm-hmm. these other showcase events and get invited to some amazing other festivals as well.
0: Yeah,
1: even um, Womex,
0: Like Womex has always had a massive yeah. jazz influence in it as well. Yeah. So as well. So apart from obviously being involved in Miles Davis coming to Glasgow, <laughs> like what other, what are the massive career highlights you've had? There must be a few.
1: Oh, I was thinking about this, I think being involved in discovery of the, the old fruit market as a venue. Uh, in 1993 we opened it, we were the first people to use it as a music venue. Right, I didn't and knew that opened, Yeah, opened with Jules Holland <laughs> On the first night of the nineteen ninety three Glasgow Jazz Festival, wow. so it had just been sitting empty, and, and Jim, who was then the director of the festival, now went and had a look at it, and we all thought this this would be an amazing space to do gigs yeah, in. So, yeah, but you yeah, had in in those days it was the stage was at the other end, and you come in the Albion Street entrance, right. And we had to put in, We had to build the stage, put in portoluz. We put the roof on. Actually, we got a grant in 1995 because the roof leaked so badly, <laughs> 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 and put that grant towards making the roof watertight. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, be birds flying about during the gigs as well. <laughs> but it was great. It was really, really good having like a pop-up space in such yeah. an amazing, amazing venue.
0: It's a lovely venue. Yeah. I
1: feel quite proud every time I go in. You know, every time I see it, North, or a band arrives, I always have that sort of. I can't wait for them to see it when they when they see the venue for the first time. So that's that's probably definitely one of my my highlights, and maybe taking uh, lots of fairly well known jazz musicians out shopping in Glasgow. Of course, <laughs> right, of course. I've taken quite a few of them clothes shopping before the gig.
0: All right, because I've lost things.
1: Well, yeah, one Well, yeah, one airline lost all Jimmy Smith, the Hammond player's luggage one year, and he was not happy, so they just said, yeah, just uh, kick him out, take him, kick him out with everything he needs, so I took him down to Slater's.
0: Of course, of course. <laughs> he, was
1: not, he was not very happy, but that was quite good fun.
0: got his suit for the show.
1: Yep, he got his suit and everything. And then the luggage turned up after the show, so it was quite, it was lucky mm-hmm. that it had, been, had time to take him out. But just meeting some amazing people over the years.
0: Ah, there has been some greats come through.
1: Some, you know, we've, we've had all the big stars, really, and yeah. jazz and blues and world. They've all, they've all played.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Joe. listen, thanks so much for having the time to talk to us today. You're
1: welcome. It's nice to talk great, to you.
0: Great to catch up with you. Thank you so much.
1: Cheers. Bye.